Good morning, everyone. Well, if you're in the adult, if you're wanting to be in the adult Sunday school class, you're in the right place. And uh, so you've got me this morning. And so um, we, I will kind of give you, uh, you there's, there's handouts in the back if you haven't gotten, there's two sheets you need. And, um, and so if you haven't gotten them, please grab a handout. Um, and I'll explain all of that here in just a moment. So, you have a couple sheets there that, that, I, that I need to, um, that I'll explain here in a moment. Um, but this morning we, we're going to begin a 19-week study about one of the main purposes of our life, and that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we'll look at that in relation to specifically evangelism and missions. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's what this class is all about. I want to help equip you. I want to help encourage you. And I want to even help exhort you uh, to be disciple makers. Our primary text as we go through this or source over the next, next 19 weeks will be the Bible. Lots of books have been written on the subject of evangelism and missions and, and some are really good books and I'll highlight some of them from time to time. But 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that God's word, it's God's words that equips us for every good work and that's including evangelism. Before we look at what we're going to be covering, I want to, I want to make a few important points that I want you to remember and think about as we, as we go through all of all of this. These Sunday school classes are not intended for people who simply want to learn about sharing their faith. What I mean is that I really don't want you to just come, take some notes, stuff those notes uh, on, a, on a shelf and let them accumulate dust or stuff them in your Bible not to see them again. Uh, the Bible is very clear that we're accountable for what we know. And so, so it's, not, it's not intended to just give you something that's, that's cool and good, um, or maybe not so cool, depending on what your thought is about that. But I want you to take what we're going to be talking about and use it. The classes, uh, second thing is these classes are not designed for, you know, like experts or professional evangelists. They're not, they're, you're not going to be a, like that probably, by these classes. I'm certainly not a, a professional evangelist. It's designed for people who want to, by the grace of God, learn how to be better tell others about the Savior who came to rescue them from the wrath of God. And, and that's the goal of this. It's one of the biggest goals here in these classes. And then number three, because of those two things, these classes are intended to be put into practice. Uh, 
And so you, you see on your sheets, it says homework. Well, that's the practice, okay? So we'll, we'll give you that and we'll see how that goes. Um, if you're like me, it's good to be reminded of the sobering reality that what we're about to talk about throughout this study isn't just uh, kind of fun and games or something cool to do in a church, evangelism and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's a lot of churches, it's just a cool thing to talk about and to be involved in. But evangelism has to do with real people who need a real Savior. And that's something that we have to remember. Over the next 19 weeks, we're going to be talking about life and death and heaven and hell. We're going to be talking about people being saved from the fury of God's wrath through the person and work of the sinless Savior who is Jesus Christ. So I just don't want you to miss the weightiness of, of that reality as we talk about this. doesn't mean we can't have fun with it and, and enjoy the class, but, I, but, it, but it is weighty when you think about that in those terms. For most of us, if we're honest, evangelism is intimidating, kind of scary. Um, what if people don't like that? You know, we're talking about Christ. And we probably don't think about evangelism as we go about our, doing our just regular day-to-day -day activities that much. But I do believe that God can and will use, give us grace as we think about this, much grace really, to be faithful in telling others about His Son. So to, today I hope to do three things. I want to give you a brief overview of the, of the next 19 weeks, and then I want to quickly run through Genesis to Revelation through Revelation to give you the, the big picture of what God is doing in history. And I want to highlight several implications about evangelism that we'll, we'll, we will revisit throughout, throughout the, this course of time, okay? When we approach evangelism and missions, uh, there are so many areas that we could hit. I mean, there's just probably hundreds of things we could discuss. I've put together 19 areas I feel that will be the most useful. You need to know that they won't be step-by-step, um, uh, check-the-box, I've done my duty in evangelism. That's not the kind of class this is going to be. But I do hope you'll be more encouraged to share Christ with others when we get done, or even in, through the process of it. Also, for the most part, we're not going to get into heavy doctrinal issues. This will be what we call practical theology, more than systematic theology. This is where the doctrine that you've learned over the years is, is put into action. This is, the, this, is, this is the action part of what you already know or what you've been taught. Todd has, Rod has taught you well over the years and in theology and doctrine, and so this is putting that into practice. So let's look at a road map of where we're going to go over the ni next 19 weeks. And for that, you see the, the schedule here. Today, today is really just um, uh, an introduction to evangelism. We'll look at the big picture. It's not, it's not so much um, uh, new information. And it's looking at Genesis through, through Revelation differently than, than Rod looked through Gen Genesis 
through Revelation in specifically looking at the kingdom. We're going to look at more of a, uh, looking at what God's doing in the big picture with regard to um, uh, um, just evangel- evangelism or um, redemption throughout, throughout history. Next week, we'll look at God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. <laughs> I just told you that over the next 19 weeks, we're, we're not going to get into heavy doctrine, but, but let me just tell you, next week's class, we're going to be definitely wading into a deep doctrinal, deep theological issues. And I'll solve them all for you. Don't worry about that. No. <laughs> No, be ready. I won't solve them all, but we're going to look at them, all right? Then Josh Gertson will be here. I think I, I have, uh, yeah, Josh is going to be here in week three. He'll be here on the 17th. And so he'll be, Josh is Rod's grandson, and he's in the ministry in Santa Clarita, California. As a youth pastor, he'll be here, and he's going to teach Sunday school that week. Then we'll look at what is the gospel. Yes, we need to define it um, because there's lots of ideas of what the gospel really is. And so we'll define that. We'll talk about sharing your personal testimony. I'd really love for that to be interactive, and, but I don't know how that's going to go. Uh, but sharing, share, it's important that you have a personal testimony and that you know how you became a believer, how you came to Christ, and be able to articulate that. So we'll talk about that. The next week is Acts 26, Paul's testimony before Agrippa, and that's going to be, Pastor Aaron's going to do that. The next week will be fighting fear of man and rejection, something we all face. Then reviewing the essential components of the gospel message, breaking them down, breaking those components of the message down. The gospel in 30 seconds, can you... You know, if, if you had somebody there and they were, you know, about to die, could you share the gospel with them in just a couple minutes or 30 seconds? Or So we'll talk about that. Then we'll move into missions and try to define what missions is, why we do missions as a local church. So we'll look at missions, the glory, the goals, the glory of God, missions, the biblical theology. The Great Commission, we'll spend six weeks on the Great Commission looking at the exposition of the Great Commission, of Christ's message. We'll, we'll look at the essence of Christ's commission. We'll look at the method of Christ's commission and the target of Christ's commission. And then somewhere in there is Christmas Eve, which is on a Sunday. I'm assuming that we're not going to have Sunday school that Sunday. We'll just have a big service. Um, but that's kind of the, the roadmap of where we're going. Today, we want to look at the big picture from Scripture. It's, this is a lot of review, but I think it's important so that we can establish a foundation of, of this whole subject of evangelism and, and missions. So, in doing that, turn with me in your Bibles, right at the beginning, the first verse, Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Have you ever wondered why God needed to create anything? Was he bored? Did he need creation and people because he lacked something? I've, I've heard people try to answer the question by saying one day God became lonely. So he created man 
So he would have someone to love. But is that true? I believe one of the best ways to answer the question of why God created is to ask the question, who? Who is this God who created? When we read through the Bible, what do we see God reveals himself to be? What, what do you think? What, do you, what, is, what has God revealed himself to be? What are his characteristics? Just shout out some. Holy. Holy, okay. Just. Merciful. Merciful. Eternal. Eternal. What did you say, Roger? Omnipotent. 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 Omnipresent. Omniscient. Yeah. All present, all knowing, all powerful, eternal. Lots of things. We see him reveal himself to be a lot of things throughout the Bible. One of the most amazing things we see about God as he's revealed himself is that he is Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three distinct divine persons who have eternally existed as one true God. While we could talk forever about that, and actually um, God or Rod went through this a few months ago, he did a whole, whole uh, doctrinal series on the Holy Spirit um, and the Trinity. He took some time and talked about the Trinity. Um, I want us to consider one particular aspect. For God to be Trinity, Trinity highlights the fact that he's able to be loving. The Father has eternally loved the Son, and the Son has eternally loved the Spirit. They've forever dwelt in perfect relation of love and glory. Forever like that. This is important because it helps us realize that when God created the universe and the world and the people who live in it, he didn't need it, need to do it because he needed anything. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't bored. He's always been and always will be perfect and complete in who he is. He created out of love, out of a desire to share his glory. The most loving thing God could do is to share himself. And that's the reason the Bible says that God created all things, Isaiah 43, 7, to display his glory in full measure and to allow us to share in his love. So with that in mind, would someone read Genesis 1, 26? Then God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, keep your finger there, and then someone read Genesis 2, 7 through 9. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man who he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow a tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in these verses, in these two sections, um, we see that God created people in his own image. In a sense, he's made us to be like him. 
God's made us to reflect his character, to rule his creation as his stewards, and have a relationship with him. God made us to know him, to reflect him, and to love him. Adam and Eve's relationship with God wasn't an abstract concept, though. Rather, that, rather it was a relationship of blessings and boundaries. Someone read Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Okay, so here we see, um, we see three things in these verses. And they're in your notes. First, notice the freedom that gives, God gives to Adam and Eve. He says, from any tree of the garden, you may eat what? Freely. Freely. That's freedom. He says, it's all yours. I made it for you. Enjoy it, feast on it, eat from those trees that, that I gave you, and with every bite, remember that I gave it to you to enjoy. God made the world good and made it for them to delight in. And that, here's the point of that, that gives God glory. However, enjoyment must be guarded by God's truth. In light of this, number two, notice the restriction he gave them. God gave a command and a consequence. Of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God is holy. If man were to rebel against God, he would have to be judged. And man is created to know God, to enjoy God, and to worship God. And again, by doing these things, man gives God glory. And before we go any further, I want you to notice Genesis 2.25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Can you imagine that? A world of perfection. No fear, no jealousy, no haunting memories, no calloused heart, no regret. No blame, no shame. A world like that. They knew nothing but life and love and joy and freedom and perfect holiness. That's what we were created to know. Of course, we know things didn't remain that way, right? Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Someone read that. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Right. So now we see a new character on the scene. A liar. A tempter. A deceiver. Here we see him as a serpent. 
serpent. We, we know him as Satan. And what does he do? He tempts, right? He tempts Eve. He tells her, God's holding out on you. You want, don't you want real freedom? Real happiness? Real excitement? Just trust me. Take a bite. God's way isn't best. Things will be better if you just indulge your desires. Sound familiar? It's exactly the same song today, right? Eve listened, and so did Adam. They ate what God told them not to. They rejected God. They rebelled against the Lord of glory and followed their own way. And what happened? Did things get better? Of course not. In fact, just like God promised, they died. Sin entered and in, and every aspect of the world was crushed. Somebody read Genesis 3.7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves one So sin destroyed their understanding of who they were. Once they were free, now they're filled with shame and fear and guilt. So they patched themselves up with fig leaves. They did anything they could to take the, away the pain. Again, sound familiar? It's the same thing we do in our world today. Sin has confused us, and now we scurry about with fig leaves that look like cars and sinful relationships and all sorts of activities and portfolios, anything, anything to numb the pain. But sin's destruction didn't stop there. Somebody read Genesis 3, 8 through 11. This is, by the way, this, these are very sad verses. Genesis 3, 8 through 11. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard a sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? God and man used to walk together in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that? I mean, just that. Talk about a great quiet time, right? But no longer now. Now they hide from him out of fear. What does God do? What does he say? Well, here we get the first question of the Bible. Where are you? What did God, why did God ask this? Was he, he, he wasn't confused. We know that. Um, but he wanted a confession. He wanted them to come out and say, I did it. I sinned. I ate. I didn't trust you. I didn't believe that your ways were right and that you were good. I sinned. But instead, they hid. And that's what we've been doing ever since. We're hiding. We make excuses. We develop philosophies. We conjure up false religions. We do whatever we can to explain him away. We hide, but God's response, response remains the same, and that is, where are you? And this question, by the way, is part of evangelism. On behalf of the Lord, we come and ask for people to be honest about where they are with God. Number three, notice that sin also destroys their relationship 
with one another. God gave them freedom. God gave them restriction. And now sin destroys their relationship. Someone read Genesis 3.12. The man said, the woman who you gave to me, be with me. She gave me from the tree and I ate. So what happened to their, their perfect relationship? Now it's filled with resentment, blame, and bitterness. Adam blames Eve and God. This is what sinful man does. Sin hates to be in the light, right? It hates to be in the light, and, we'll, and it'll do whatever it can to keep from being exposed. Sin especially loves to blame others. Loves it. So what should God have done right there? That's right. He should have ended it. He, he's holy. God is holy. He should, he should have crushed them. He should have judged them right there uh, and cast them into hell forever. And that's what God would do to be fair. But instead, God promised to crush another. God promised to judge another. God promised to pour his wrath out on another. Read Genesis 3, 14 to 19. Someone... The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and the dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet you will desire, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles that shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken from your dust, and to dust you shall return. God responds to man's rebellion by proclaiming a threefold curse on Satan, the woman and the man. To Satan, he says, on your belly you go. To the woman, pain in, child, in birth and struggle in her, her role to be a woman. To the man, pain in work. Thorns, thistles will grow up in the ground. I don't know how you farmers do it. I just have a small garden and I can't, I'm done with it. You know, it's, it's just because of that. To all humans, he says, you will die. Notice, however, that God doesn't just curse them. He also gives them a promise. A promise guide, that will guide them through the course of history and, and give hope to the world. In Genesis 3, look again at Genesis 3.15. When he curses the serpent, God says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall crush his heel. God gives the promise that a singular man will come. He'll be bruised. He'll be wounded by the serpent. But in the end, the man will crush the serpent's head. God promises to send a deliverer, one who will stand up to the enemy and defeat him. But in the process, he will himself be wounded. And we know that 
That sounds very familiar to everybody here. No, nothing new. But after the promise, God gave them a picture to help them remember the promise. Look at Genesis 3.21 with me. In Genesis 3.21, he says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So God has made them garments of skin. And how would the garments, how would he do that? How would he make garments of skin? What's that? Something had to kill the animal. That's right. Something had to die in order for that to happen. An innocent animal's blood is shed. Now God strips off Adam and Eve's fig leaves of self-righteousness and righteousness and he clothes them with the blameless garments of one who died in their place. That's a picture of what God does for those who trust in Christ. In Genesis 3.24, God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, places a cherubim angel with a flaming sword to keep them from the tree of life, and the waiting began. Who will be the seed of the woman? What will he look like? How will they recognize him? And the rest of the Old Testament tells us about the anticipation, somebody's coming. A deliverer's coming who will defeat Satan, clothe them with innocence, and restore them to God. Genesis 5 lists name after name up to Noah. Man rebels. God destroys the world through a flood. After the flood, man rebels, and they build a tower to exalt themselves to the heavens for their own glory. God judged them. He sent them out confused and without direction, and he called out a man named Abraham through whom he made the nation Israel. He promised Abraham that he will be blessed and that through his descendants, all the world would be blessed. So the seed of a woman, the promised one, will be a descendant of Abraham. From that time, Israel's history goes like this. They moved to Egypt because of a famine and God delivered them. They became slaves under Pharaoh and God delivers them through a man named Moses. One of the final acts of deliverance came when God called the nation to shed the blood of an innocent lamb and smear it on their door frames as a testimony of their faith in God's promise to pass over them and not judge them. Those who did so lived. Those who didn't lost their firstborn children in judgment. Then God miraculously led them through the Red Sea and, and to, place, to a place called Mount Sinai. There God gave his law to his people so that they would know who he is and how he requires them to live because he knew they wouldn't keep his law perfectly. He provided a sacrificial system through which a priest offered up an innocent lamb as an act of faith that God would pass over their sins. Hebrews 9 through 10 tells us that these offerings were a mere shadow Mere shadows pointing to an ultimate sacrifice, which is Christ. Israel often rebelled, and God dealt with them for their sins, but he never, he never forgot or forsook them. In 1 Samuel 8, they asked for a king, so they would be like the rest of the nations after giving them a king, who you know turned out to be wicked. God promised to raise up a king after his own heart, he promised he would be a king from David's line who would have a house, a throne, and a kingdom that would never end. 2 Samuel 7, 
12 to 13. He told the prophets that this eternal king would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. Born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. Would work miracles, Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. And that ultimately he would be a suffering servant who would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 52, 12 through 53, 12. God gave all these things to stir faith in his people so that they would trust him to bring this seed of a woman who would crush the serpent's head. That's basically our Old Testament. There's a lot more there too. But God patiently giving promises to his children so they will look with anticipation for their fulfillment and say, where's our Savior? Where is the one who would be born of a woman? Where is the one who would be born of Abraham? Where is the king of David? Where is our high priest? Where is this final lamb? And then at the fullness of time, God gave his son Jesus the Messiah. Jesus came and lived in a, perf- a perfect life. He performed mighty miracles. He proclaimed God's kingdom and hope for those who would repent and believe in him. But rather than embrace Jesus as their Lord, the religious leaders of the day ordered that he be put to death, and he was. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, was forsaken by the very ones he came to save. He was betrayed, arrested, mocked, beaten, and then crucified. Years earlier, in a garden, humanity had fallen because they forsook God to taste of a tree. And now that same God was forsaken again, but this time for their sake. Jesus was nailed to a tree to receive the curse and the shame and the judgment that we, we sinful humans deserved. On the cross that day, Jesus wore a crown of thorns, not a crown of gold or silver or jewels. Rather, God's glory was to wear our curse upon his head. God's wrath and fury for sin was poured out upon the sinless Son of God. Before he died, he cried out, it is finished, and it was. Jesus came to die for sinners and satisfy God's wrath, and it was finished. After Jesus died, they placed him in a grave. For three days he lay dead. And then God rolled back the stone, and the world saw that Jesus had ridden from the dead, and he's alive. The Son of God defeated sin, Satan, and death. After his resurrection, he appeared for 40 days to many and told his disciples that they were going away. But while he was gone, he left them with the greatest task. And that is, back to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18-20. All authority is he- in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And after saying those words, he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now intercedes on our behalf. Then came Pentecost, the start of the church. Now for the last 2,000 plus years, God's people have been taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, calling people to repent and to believe in Jesus, the promised Lord and Savior of the world. This is why 
we're here this morning. This is why we have an evangelism and missions class. We believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and that the only hope for the world is for sinners to believe in Him. God saves sinners who trust in Christ. While we proclaim the gospel, we keep in view the fact that God's mercy doesn't last forever. There's a day coming when Jesus will return and will call all people to account. The book of Revelation tells us that Jesus will return to the earth and will judge the world. It will happen. Christ will establish the promised millennial kingdom. There will be a day of final judgment where Satan and all his minions will be defeated for all eternity. Then, a new heaven and earth, and we're back to what it was in Eden, face-to-face with God and Christ, unimaginable fellowship, no sin, no death, no pain, no sorrow, just unspeakable blessing. What a day that'll be, right? And we, those of us who place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will see that and be there. I feel like I should sing the song, What a Day That Will Be. But I won't. So, um, that was a really fast ride from Genesis to Revelation. And you're probably asking, so what, Bob? We already knew this. It's nothing new. So what? Well, I do think there's a few lessons or implications we can learn from it or be reminded of as we think about evangelism and missions. And those are in your notes. By the way, you want to bring a pencil or pen so you can, I'll have blanks in there every week so that you can not fall asleep while I'm talking, but, you know, have something keeps you keeps you active. Number one, what are, what, so what? I think the so what here, number one, is the purpose of history, at least one main purpose, and I, I guess I think in everything the main purpose of history is to bring God glory. First and foremost, we look at everything from Genesis to Revelation. And we see all that God is doing, and there's so much more. God's, or Rod, Rod I, I keep saying Rod is God. Sorry about that. Um, he's not, by the way. I, I know. So, um, Rod has been for a couple years talking about the kingdom. And um, so there's so much more in our Bibles than what I've just laid out. But I laid out the whole path of redemption. But the purpose of history, all of it, is to bring God glory. I have listed some verses there, and uh, I promised that I wouldn't go over in time. I think we're going to get out early, but I, I just wanted to highlight one of those. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I think all of history is 
all about the glory of God too. Who, who else but a, a God that re- should receive all glory would create a plan like that? It's just amazing and he should receive glory for that. That means that everything we do in life, including evangelism, ultimately is to display to the world that God is worthy of all of our lives. God's glory should be our primary motivation in proclaiming the gospel. God's glory should be our primary motivation in proclaiming the gospel. Number two, very important, and we'll highlight this more as we go along. God is the evangelist. God is the evangelist. He delights in saving sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners whom I am foremost of all. Christ came, God sent Christ And Christ came to save sinners. He is the evangelist and he delights in saving sinners. We we must always remember that God is the one who has compassion on the lost and the one who saves. We're merely joining him in his great purpose. God is the one who has compassion on the lost and who, who saves. We join him in this great purpose. Number three, we have been entrusted with the honor and responsibility of proclaiming the gospel. We have been entrusted with the honor and responsibility of proclaiming the gospel. Therefore, from now on, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, evangelism is not an elective for the believer. It's a command and a responsibility. We are ambassadors It's also an honor. Don't forget that. It's an honor. We have the privileged position of introducing people to the Lord of Lords 
and King of Kings. That's, that's an honor that we get. We get to do that. And that's the way we should look at evangelism. These are just some of the lessons or implications that we'll come back to periodically through our evangelism and missions class. All right, so the last thing on your notes, it says homework. <laughs> so I'm going to give you homework. This is Sunday school, so I'm going to give you some homework. I want you to think about some of the things that I said this morning, some of the things that we saw from Genesis through Revelation that God's Word said this morning. Um, and periodically I will give you homework assignments, and I, want, I do that to, to help you grow throughout the week, to help you apply what you've heard, not just hear it. I want you to be doers of the Word, not just hearers of the Word, and to better prepare you to be a faithful evangelist or a faithful person that is sharing Christ with others. I want you to be faithful in that. So here's what I want you to do this week. Number one, write this down. I know probably all of you don't have pencils or pens, but pray. Pray. Pray this week. Number one, pray. Three things. Pray that God would give you a heart for the lost. And you may already have a heart for the lost, but keep praying that God would give you a more, a, a deeper heart for the lost. Pray that God would give you a heart for the lost. Number two, pray for open doors. Pray for open doors to share Christ with others. Just pray for that. Um, uh, and I, I get, just gave you number three. Pray for open doors and then pray for people to share the gospel with. That's number three. Okay? So one, that God would give you heart for the lost. Two, for open doors. By the way, God will give you open doors. It's whether you're bold enough to go through them if you're praying for them. So it's kind of a scary prayer, right? That God would give you the, a heart for the lost and for open doors. And then number three, for people to share the gospel with. Number two, I want you to read through the gospel presentation handout, which is the other side of, this, of your um, schedule. It says the gospel presentation. And we'll see this somewhere in this. And, and as you read through it, you'll see things that I'll talk about periodically through these 19 weeks. And uh, by the way, this was adapted from Grace Community Church's discipleship evangelism um, program that they have. So, two things to do. Please do them. Please pray this week. Pray that God would give you a heart for the lost. Pray for open doors and for people to share the gospel with. And, and uh, read through the gospel presentation. Next week, we're going to talk about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. 
and uh, it's going to be an interesting discussion. Um, it's not going to be much of a discussion. I'm going to tell you about it. So, okay. <laughs> because there, it's, uh, it's just one of those things that um, a lot of people have talked about through the ages. It's really easy to understand. The problem is that we get in the way of understanding it. So we'll talk about that next week. All right? Let me pray. Father, again, we are thankful for your word. Just in running through Genesis to Revelation, we're thankful that you, you created and then you devised a plan. And we're thankful that we have the ability to, um, to come to Christ. And we're thankful that you have made a way through your son and his shed blood on the cross. And that he defeated death and is now sitting at the right hand of you interceding for, on our behalf. What a God. We're so thankful. So go with us now, Lord, and help us to be mindful of the lost. Help us to have a heart for those that we interact with, that they might come to Christ. And give us the ability to be bold in that endeavor. And pray for now as the, in the upcoming service, pray for our fellowship and our and our worship service that we would worship you through everything that's done and sung and said in our service to come. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.